and we're going to continue in a sermon series called uh, In Real Life for IRL. I want to take a moment to thank everyone who's um, submitted questions over the weeks uh, and months, actually, that we've been doing this. Um, they've been awesome, and you can continue to do that if you want to at familybc.org slash IRL. There's a submission form there. Um, we did work out the schedule for the rest of the series. We are going to spend some more time in the series before we finish. We were toying, I was toying with the idea of wrapping up today um, because of some holidays we have coming up, but we're going to actually work through those, and uh, we will be wrapping up, I think, end of May. I guess like a few more weeks, basically, in the series. So if you've been uh, blessed by it, then there's more coming. Um, I want to explain a little bit what we're doing. We're trying to talk about these big issues that are coming out of the church, this church, Family Bible Church, and look at them from a biblical perspective. Um, you'll see your chairs up here. That's because at the end we do a uh, panel discussion, and uh, we'll see how that goes today. And uh, I, my job is to frame the, the uh, questions biblically, okay, if that makes sense. So, so today we have a bit of a... Um, not really a redo, um, but a two-parter that we thought deserved its own week. So today what we're going to talk about is a really, really big issue um, that uh, needs to be discussed. And that's why the team, the IRL team, thought we should have its own week for this one topic. And so the question actually on top of your sheet, I believe, it reads pretty simply, how can I best handle conflict? If you grab the engagement sheet, that's what I should say at the top of it. And then the scripture references are at the bottom, so you can be checking those out. If we don't get to all those today, you can look at those in your own time as well. I want to read the full question that was submitted as it was submitted, though, because this actually brings us all the way back to the very first week of IRL. This was um, one of the questions we handled that first week, and this was the question that was asked, how can I intentionally engage in divisive issues that need to be addressed, but do so in calm and collected manner that honors God and does not alienate people or elevate conflict levels? And then they went on to say, in short, how can I best handle conflict? So I want to talk about that. We're going to read some, uh, some scripture here together. It's going to be from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. You can read along if you would like, and then we'll pray, and we'll spend some time in the Word. Jesus is speaking here, and he says this. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything that you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Because where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. The word of our Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your uh, gospel. We thank you for the truth of scripture. And we pray now that we would um, set our hearts uh, in, in your hands, that we'd really listen to you, that we would put our minds at ease and we'd be willing to learn from you and that your word would teach us. You promised that your word would never return void and today we need to hear from you. So Father, as we depend upon you and your Holy Spirit, would you instruct us? Um, I'm gonna ask that you would uh, guard the words of my mouth, that it would be honoring to you and truth be spoken, and I'm going to pray that you guard the ears of all of our hearing, that we hear rightly what you'd have for us today. May you intervene, that we could know truth and actually believe it in our hearts. We ask that you do this work for your glory and for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So this question was kind of interesting because it was asked, I said it kind of broke into two parts, because the first seems like it's a question about external matters, you know, about these divisive issues which we covered kind of in week one. But the second part of this question was how can we resolve conflict? And I want to say that as we even get into um, this text here, there's a bit of a a differential we have to make about what we're talking about today. Um, Today we're going to be talking about how to resolve conflict amongst believers, okay? And so we're going to spend most of our day talking about that today. So um, I claim to be a believer in Christ, and if you claim to be a believer in Christ, then we have disagreements, which is totally um, possible, likely even. Uh, how we should go about resolving those things is what we're going to talk about today. And this is the passage, if you've ever heard it, this is the passage that you, will, you should hear referred to about biblical conflict resolution, Matthew 18, 15. Jesus with his own mouth taught these words, and we should be paying attention to the structure. A little bit of background here is um, we've done this at Family Bible Church. Praise God. We, we've had conflict and disagreements, and we've made an effort to look at the biblical um, standard for how we should resolve those conflicts. I say that because there's a tendency just to go to what we think should happen. We'll just, you know, work in the flesh instead. Um, and we've done some hard work. Um, and I'm not saying me, by the way. I've been part of some of it, but not all of it. There's a lot of it that's gone on where people surrender themselves to this process with one another that God might be glorified and they might be reconciled. That's the hope. And so we're going to talk. There's a lot packed in this little passage. And we only know that because as we tried to live it out, it was really hard. We kept hitting these kind of hiccups and had to reread the text. What does the text say? How should we uh, respond appropriately to this? So we're going to just kind of walk through here and talk about this together. Um, The word says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And this is going to be this first principle that I want to talk about today, um, which is pretty basic, but... We, we talk to people, not about people. That's kind of the standard that we begin to realize comes from this text. When we have a disagreement with someone, we don't go and talk to other people about that disagreement. That's what the Bible says we shouldn't do. And I know you're going to say, that doesn't say disagreement, it says sin. Let's talk about that for a second. The word for sin in the Bible is um, hamartia, and it means to miss the mark, right? The only one who never missed the mark was Jesus, that means all the rest of us, no matter how much we try to aim, no matter how much we try to look at Scripture and see what we should do, we miss the mark. And so what the word says here is, when a brother, and by the way, the brother means a believer, a brother or sister in Christ, someone who's believing the gospel, sins, this is what we should do. And um, go and show him his fault just between the two of you, is what the word says, right? So fundamentally, when we have a problem, we should talk to the person about that and not to other people about that. And that's the first step. You might imagine that whenever we try to do that in our lives for real, we get, it's hard. That's a really hard step to take right there, you know? Make it a little harder even. The text here says when a brother or sister sins against you, but some of the texts just say when a brother or sister sins. So if you see me living a life of sin, you have, there's this obligation to go in and to tell me what you see. That's even harder, I would say. If I've been sinned against, I go, okay, I can go and talk to you about that. I I feel like you sinned against me, and here's how. But the whole point is to go and talk. And I want want to spend a minute, we're going to walk through this, and I want to talk about what it it says here. It says, when you go to talk to a brother or sister about someone who's hurt you or harmed you or missed the mark with you, you should bring along evidence of what's happened. And this is a weird thing. I thought, what? bring evidence, you know, and it's kind of 
it's, it's in the words, I promise, is go and show them their fault. I'm going to pluralize that just because it makes it gender neutral, right? Go and show them their fault. So when you're coming to do that, you're not just going to go up and say, hey, man, I think you did something wrong to me. But you're going to have a reason for why you're going. I think when you spoke to me like that, you know, and this is what happened, and you're going to have some reasons that you believe that's true. The point of bringing that along is not to be right. That's the danger, honestly, in it. The point of bringing that along is that, um, that, that if you were coming to me, that I would know how I've failed you, that I could hear you say that to me, that I could see the evidence. By the way, sometimes the evidence is things that are like, that are like you know, red ears or tears or, or frustration or hurt, anger. And when you come, you would come and you would share those evidences with me that I would know that the things that I do, the things that I, when I fail, I hurt other people. Go and, and show them their fault just between the two of you, right? So that's the first step of this process is that we would come to one another first. Um, I can't tell you how often we don't do this. I can't tell you how often that I don't do this in my own life. And that's, that's a real um, hard thing to, to wrestle with because the teaching is so clear. But I also want to talk about a little bit about what the goal is, because it comes right here at the beginning, about what the goal is of this, if you want to call it a confrontation, you can, about this going directly to someone. And, and the word says um, that you might gain, I think is what it says here, let's see. If, if they listen to you, you have won your brother or sister over. You've won them. So when you're going in, the goal is not to be right and them to be wrong, but to win back a relationship. Actually, I love this one. I was digging into it a little bit. It's the idea of getting an upgraded friend. I called it friend 2.0. So you have a brother or sister in Christ. You have a conflict in your relationship. This is an opportunity to get an upgrade. And the way you do it is you go right to them and you say, hey, you've offended me. Or, or, hey, there's something going on in your life I'm really worried about. I want to tell you this because I love you. And in this process, Jesus said, if you do that, and if they will hear you, if they will listen to you, what you're sharing, or if you come to me and I will listen to you, then we get a friend upgrade. We get a brother upgrade or a sister upgrade, a co-laborer upgrade. You've won them over. Well, of course, then the Bible goes on. Jesus goes on to teach. He says, but if they will not listen, see, if you go and they won't hear it, I don't have time. I'm not going to sit down with you. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hear this stuff from you, how I've harmed you or, or how you think I've failed you. I don't, you, you know, if there's any kind of that, then Jesus teaches this. Take one or two others along with you, is implied there, right? Take them along with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The word actually says that every word might be strengthened. So when you do that, um, you would, you would, Go and you would try to tell brother, sister, hey, what's, what's going on? And then when they don't hear it, they won't hear it, then you go and you find a couple people and you say, can you come with me? Because i got to go talk to so-and-so. I'm really concerned. There's some nuance in here I want to talk about. We've tried this at Family Bible. I told you that, right? This is like real deal stuff. And some of what's happened here in the past that we've had to kind of resist is that the person who, first of all, that the person didn't go right to the other person and say what was up. The person came to someone else. And those people then had a burden to say, you know what, have you talked to the person yet? If you haven't, you need to talk to them, right? And so that was now on them to tell the person who's upset, you got to talk to the, that's, you know what Matthew 18, 15 says, right? Go talk to them first. So that was a hard part. Well, once that was done, the person maybe had gone to that. Maybe you went to a brother and you said, hey, and they wouldn't hear you. 
So the next step would be you go get someone to go with you. Well, instead of doing that, many of us would go and say, I tried to talk to so-and-so, and they wouldn't talk to me. And that ain't right. And, and leave it like that. And sometimes that happens to leaders. Um, so they come to a leader and they say, this just ain't right. Like, I went and did this. And what, what's happening is even if there's going to be an intervention, it's going to be led by someone else. Does that make sense? I'm trying to put a fine point on this, but I'm telling you this actually has happened here not just once, many times, <clears throat> where the person who's actually involved doesn't um, go and say, hey, will you go with me? Let's talk about why that would matter a little bit. If I can come to you and say, hey, will you handle my business for me and I'm not involved anymore, like it's not biblical, first of all, but it gets me out of that loop. It doesn't put that burden on me. If I'm going to have, if I went to someone and I shared there was a hurt and they wouldn't hear it, before I go and grab someone, I'm going to think, man, is this worth getting people involved? Right? I'm going to have to have that kind of conviction about this is a big deal. If I see them living in sin or something, I'm going to be like, this is a big deal. And before I go and just grab somebody and say, hey, let's go talk to them, I'm going to have like a gut check moment, like how bad do I want to do this? And I think that that's on purpose. It's built into this process. But praise the Lord, we get convictions and we do go. And so there's been people who've done that. Well, it, you know, <clears throat> I have to go with you, but you're going to have to go still. You go back with those folks to, to do that. And that happens. But then it the, the goes on and says, that the word might be strengthened by two or three witnesses. Because see, all of a sudden now, it's not just me and you have a problem. You've got brothers and sisters around here going, man, Bill, say I'm the guy who's complaining, right? Or, you know, confronting someone. I shouldn't say complaining. But say I'm the guy that's confronting someone. <clears throat> and if I go and I'm like, you, I don't know, something really trivial, I think the people I brought are going to be like, really? That's what you're upset about? So it brings accountability not just to the person, but to me as I walk through that process. How big of a deal is this? <clears throat> so then we end up in this room together, strengthening the words. The words, the, the Bible here says that, that everything can be established by two or three witnesses, but it's not about proving a case. It's about bringing wisdom into the room. I hope you understand that. About bringing the wisdom of God's people into the room as much as possible. It's, it should not be about sides, man. That's where we get in sides, you know. And 17 says this. If they then refuse to listen to those, then tell it to the church. That's all of you. And honestly, we don't know how to do that. I mean, we don't know how to do that well, right? That's a step right there that we've struggled with as well. Because we, we, you don't want to gossip. But if there's something going on, you want to tell, hey, this is what's going on. This is what we've done. And um, the, the, the person isn't listening. But then here's my favorite thing, right? It says, when it gets to the end, it says, if they won't listen to the church, and by the way, let's just take a minute and talk about that practically. How would they listen to the church? Do you think you'd come up here in front of everybody and say, this is what I think about, you know, Susie so-and-so, and then after worship, you know, the church would answer something, you know, like have a vote? That's not how that would work. I think the idea would be after the church knows, the church would come alongside and say, hey, what's going on? Is this, are you okay? Is this a problem? It brings a large group of accountability in. Accountability that I would say none of us want, but all of us need, right? Like none of us sign up for that stuff, but all of us need that kind of accountability of loving brothers and sisters who would hold us to a, a, a standard, hold us to account before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Then the word goes on to say, if they don't listen to even the church, then treat them as you would a pagan and a tax collector. And the reason this is so interesting is because when you think about that, they're treated not as brothers and sisters, but as those outside of the faith. And what do you say to people outside of the faith? Hey, come follow Jesus. <laughs> you know, 
Jesus died for your sins. He loved you so much. He gave his life on the cross that you could be free from your sin. Join us. Become part of the body of Christ. And it's funny because it, it might seem harsh, but the truth is that what it seems to me that is being implied in the text is that if a person isn't willing to hear criticism, if a person isn't willing to hear from a brother or sister about a concern they have, then that person doesn't believe the good news, doesn't believe the gospel, doesn't believe that Jesus is Lord and they're part of the body. So at the end of it all, if that person is that obstinate, they've never belonged to Jesus. Maybe you think I'm overstepping my bounds, right? But it seems exactly to say that. Treat them as you would a tax collector or a pagan, a non-believer. And we treat them differently. Non-believers do hurt us. Non-believers don't care for us. Non-believers won't tell us the truth. Matter of fact, the next thing Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. The things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The things you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. We're not going to get into this too much. But this idea that the time that we have here matters. And the opportunities that we take to go and to talk to people directly matter in eternity. Um, huge, huge deal. The second thing that I wanted to talk about in here as well is this idea. So say, a lot of times we read this passage and we say, well, how would, um, how does, you know, how would I go and do that? But the question also is how would we receive that? And so the second thing that I want to talk about is that we are called to listen well, right? Um, choose to listen and that means if someone has something to say, like give them the time to say it. Choose to listen. In, in this passage, that's all that's required. I was amazed this week as I read and I prepared that all that's required if someone is coming to tell you that you've sinned against them is that you would listen to what they're saying to you. Hear them. Hear them out. As a matter of fact, I would even say that the listening is required on both sides. So if I'm going to come and I'm going to have my concern, then after I'm done sharing it, I need to listen to you. So we're both called to listen and to choose to do so. Have you ever had that experience where someone has come and they've brought a grievance to you and they just dumped it on your lap or your desk and then walked away? They, they're done. They did their job. This is the way it is. Blah, 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 blah. Bam, out the door. It's not what they're called, we're called to do here. What is it? We're called to Upgrade, <laughs> friend 2.0, brother, sister 2.0, to grow together by listening well. I'll share with you um, from the, the book of James, the great passage on this, which is in James 1, um, verses, what is it, 19 and 20. It says this, everyone, brothers and sisters, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Many, I mean, right? Be um, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. When we think about this kind of model of biblical accountability, our brother and sisterhood, we, we bring that into the equation. I'm going to listen well. I'm going to choose to listen well. I'm going to be slow to get angry. You don't respond the way I want you to. I'm going to be slow to get angry about it because that anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires for our life. That's what he says. Opportunity to, uh, to go and to listen um, well. I don't know that we want to do this very often. I don't know that we do it well very often. But when we do, it's a great blessing to actually be heard 
And it's a great blessing to hear. I mean, to really hear somebody. And that's what we're trying to do. No matter what we're doing, we're trying to listen. Okay. The third um, thing that I wanted to share with you is that when we go, we're called to speak truth from our heart, right? Um, Speak truth from our heart. And I'm going to ask you to turn to um, the book of Ephesians. Um, Ephesians, I think, uh, 4. Yeah. So you can turn there in your Bibles. Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. And we're going to run through this quickly. I want to read it and just talk about a couple of points here. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor because we are members of one body. And here it is again. Look at the redundancy. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold in your life. He who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, that they might have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, but get rid, now listen to the list, of all bitterness of rage and anger, of brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving one another, just as Christ God forgave us. That, that becomes the standard then. Why, why would I say, um, uh, speak truth from your heart? Many times when we have a conflict, especially with someone we really, really love, we're afraid of what's going to come out. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself taught that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? The man who stored up good in his heart, good pours out. The man who stored up evil in his heart, evil pours out. It's the stuff in our heart that we're kind of afraid of. But we're called to, to speak truth in love and to speak truth from our heart. 25, Paul teaches this. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. One thing we've talked about here is anytime there's a therefore, you got to say, well, well why, why is it there, Right? Um, verse 22 you were taught with your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its own deceitful desires and be made new in the attitude of your minds to put on your new self to be created that was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness therefore each of you put off falsehood and speak truth what this means is that um, we owe it to each other to be honest, no matter how hard it is, we owe it to each other to talk from our heart. And what that might mean, actually, when you're going and you're, how a brother is such a sin against me is I have to examine what is it that, why does it hurt there? Why does that person elicit that response? Or why does a situation bring about this, this, you know, pain in my life? And then when you go to share, you speak that, remember one time uh, Chris and I went to a class on communication and marriage and um, they, they, told, they taught us how to put our, the things we feel or experience into words because it's important to articulate them. And it was kind of goofy. We did some weird stuff. You know, we'd give it a, on a scale from one to ten. This is how severe it is, you know. If it was a color, we would give it a color. We did this kind of, but it really helped us to communicate, understand how the other person was feeling or experiencing that. And what this means is there's a lot of a hard work. Why, what, what part of me is offended in this? And what part of this is, is really concerned for sin in our lives? 
we're called to speak truthfully to one another because we all belong to each other. And then again, not to be angry. And then there's this whole thing about don't let the sun go down on your anger. Like, don't dilly-dally. If there's a problem, deal with it. If something needs to be said, say it. And don't be afraid to speak that truth. I don't know why. Maybe you're not like me. I'm always so resist. I'm so, I'm so hesitant to do that. I got things stored in my heart I want to say to people. Good things. And I don't say them. I get in the room and I, I can't get them out. Or I got hard things I want to say to people and I, I get in the room and I, I can't get them out. But the word says that we're called to, uh, to speak these things to one another. To do so in, in love. Say, saying things that are um, building people up and, and, and really pushing for their good. You see, what, that's what it says there. That it might benefit those who hear. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for me. I hope, I hope we can find ways to do that more and more as a church family. I really do. You know, I, I hope that we take the Bible seriously and we're willing to walk these things out. And, and, uh, and, and I, honestly, it seems like it's, we're doing better at it. And then the end there, getting rid of all those things and being kind and compassionate. Like getting rid of my anger, my frustration. What about me? And instead being kind and compassionate and forgiving one another as Jesus forgave us, which is... Um, this whole thing uh, that we have to always keep in, in mind. The, uh, that brings us to our, our third point here, which is uh, to keep the eternal perspective. Kind of something like we talked about last week with thinking about eternity. Does it matter for eternity? It's a little bit of a different question. Um, <clears throat> but keeping an eternal perspective, and I want to share with you, uh, I know we're going to jump a little bit here, but first uh, Corinthians, if you would turn there. There's this great little passage kind of trapped in the middle of bu- a bunch of teaching, and uh, you can read the teaching around it. We're not afraid of that. It's all, all God's truth. But nestled in the middle is this great lesson that we learned when we were walking through conflict with people. This is something we learned as a church family that I wanted to share with you, and it comes from uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 1, and then 7 and 8. We're going to skip that middle part, not trying to avoid it, just bring some clarity by selecting these verses. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. If any of you has a dispute with someone else in the church, right, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints. In other words, if you have a problem, are you going to go to some other authority than bringing it through the, to the church? And then in verse 7, he goes on to say this. The very fact that you have lawsuits among yourselves means that you have completely been defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? And, and those words, we, we were working through some stuff, and, and those words have just stuck in my head. Why not? As the people of God, why, why not rather be wronged than to go out and, and, and um, tell those outside of the church about what, what problems we're having? That's not to be the family Bible. I'm saying in my spiritual life. Like, what is it in me that's so offended that I have to go and, and bring some other authority into this? And Paul writes here and he says, if, you, if you're at that place in your life, you've already lost. You've already failed. The middle part that we skipped over, he says things like, we're going to judge angels, don't you know that? That we're going to judge the world, don't you know that? That the God that we serve is the God of all time. He's the God that's ruling everything and that we're going to serve as his people. We have him in us. And yet we can't settle trivial matters between ourselves. We always have a tendency to run off from these minor, minor things become huge issues because we won't do the basic biblical principle of going to one another directly and maybe bring a brother to along to bear witness, to bring strength to our words. 
all of a sudden we get in the middle of these things and you realize, man, how do we get here? How do we even get here? Flipping back one more book, the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 5. This will be our last text for the day. 2 Corinthians 5. Um, oh, yeah, find it. Verses 11 through 21. Paul lays out this um, huge kind of mandate for the church that's given to us. And uh, I want to read through it. Reading scripture is good and talk about a few things. Verse 11 says this. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is made plain, is, is plain to God. Like he already knows. And I hope it's also plain to you, the reader, the hearer. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart, right? If we are out of our mind, it's for the sake of God, and if we are in our right mind, it's because of uh, you. Because Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all are dead, and he died for all that those who should live, would no longer live for themselves, but live for the one who died for them. That basically says that we believe that Jesus died for everyone and that everyone's dead, either in their sin or they're alive in Christ. And then if you're alive in Christ, you're called to live for him, the one who gave his life that you might and I might be free. Verse 16, because of this, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly view. Though we once looked at Christ in this way, we do not do so any longer Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Most of us understand that, right? We say, yeah, he reconciled us uh, to himself through Jesus. That's what God did. Like, we were hopelessly lost, and he gave his son that we could know him and be with him forever. He, he paid a price we couldn't pay. He made it right. He was both holy and uh, just, or just in the justifier, you know. Um, pure judgment and pure love in Jesus. And we're reconciled then to God. That means that we are, our books are settled. But, and we get that. But then that sentence says this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he gave that to the church to do, to be reconcilers, to be um, conflict managers, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and that he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ as ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And therefore, and this is the, right, the last of it, be reconciled to God. When we don't think about things in an eternal perspective, when we aren't willing to do the hard work now of saying the hard things, if we aren't willing to confront one another in love and to, to show this is what's happening, this is not good, in the end, we're not doing the work of reconciliation and we're not being reconciled to God. We're not being more, becoming more like Jesus or more like he desires us to be. Paul writes this, therefore, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, no missing that mark, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God, the gift of eternal life in his name. That, that means, at, at the very least then, that we are called to be part of that reconciliation process. That means that we are called to be part of the people who would do the hard work of saying the things that need to be said. I hope we see that.
I hope even more that we actually would do it in our own lives. And, and in real ways, like, if, if there's folks, and especially, that's what I say, especially believing folks, we have to wrestle with that. We have to own that part of what Jesus taught and go directly to them. Uh, speaking the truth in love and uh, being willing to listen and be, be, being willing to hear when someone comes to us in that way. I'm going to ask you to pray with me and then we're going to have a panel discussion up here um, as we uh, continue our time in worship. Uh, Father, uh, for the work that you've done on the cross, we give you thanks and praise. And, and for the real, everyday, no joke, uh, reconciliation that you've called us to do, I pray that you would give us the courage to do it. Um, help us now to understand more as we have a conversation together and we grow as followers of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to invite up uh, the IRL panel today. And to be honest, I'm not sure who all is planning to come up today. So if, are you planning, if you plan to come up, will you raise your hand real quick for me? Yeah. Beth? Awesome. I might have to pick on somebody today. Steve, would you be willing to come up with us today? Yeah. I apologize. Now I'm going to have to right now confess that I shouldn't have done that to you. <laughs> yeah, wait, are you? Just to be prepared. <laughs> In season and out. <laughs> right on. Thank you, Miss Beth. Scary. That's really loud in my ear. Scary. Oh, Steve got a mic already. Oh. Well, hi, Chris Ann. How are you? So we'll do, and Steve, I do appreciate it. I hate to pick on you, but, you know, that's what we, um, and so, by the way, it doesn't really, it wasn't that unfair that we, because we don't prep any of the questions anyway, right? Do you guys know what we're about to talk about other than this topic? No clue. No clue. All right. <clears throat> So, um, real quick, I'm going to do introductions just so everyone knows who's up here, right? Steve Hamps, uh, one of our leadership team members at Family Bible Church and longtime uh, participant and uh, uh, follower of God, uh, father, husband, servant, good. Yeah, okay. Um, Beth uh, Young, who, uh, who um, serves us and has been here for a long time. I mean, really, um, dairy farmer, <laughs> yeah, and uh, mom, wife. And uh, my wife, Chris, um, who's been here for a little while, um, tolerates me, which is amazing, and um, serves the church in many ways, totally off the books, unofficial, with no title. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> By the way, the other stuff too, real estate agent, I'm just saying, they all have things that they do. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Um, so a couple of questions. Um, how have you seen conflict handled uh, well in the church? And how have you seen it handled poorly in the church? You can pick either one you want to. He'll get you in the back. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, so I've seen it, obviously, I think we've all had experiences in different churches, but um, maybe not so well. Um, I had an experience, um, I guess kind of the lay person is the right term, but so my role was different in, in a previous church, and um, I really never felt empowered or uh, I never felt the responsibility, I would say that, that's probably the right word, that I never felt the responsibility to um, until I came to Family Bible Church eight years ago. Um, that's really when I, I, I felt a growing urge that, that we had the calling to um, masturbate. Um, and, and previous to that, um, 
in, in, in my previous church, um, it was more of the, the talking about other people versus going to that person. So um, that didn't work very well. And um, so that was a, I can't give you an exact example because I really don't want to talk about it. Right. Um, I, that would be inappropriate. But um, so it started, and, and just a little background on me, I hate conflict. I like everybody to get along. So it was a, a huge, huge growing thing for me, and, and he can attest to this. Um, I hate confrontation. And so for me to actually go to somebody and, and talk to them about a problem takes a lot of courage. But I've done it personally within my own family and, and making that and then as well as within the church with in the last eight years it's been a big growing thing for me. But I would much rather both personally, I would, if somebody's gonna come to me, I would respect that so much more than to hear about it from somebody else. And so I, I would appreciate that a lot more. Really? Um, I guess I grew up in a church that if people didn't like what was happening in the church, they just left. So there was um, no conflict resolution. So if a new preacher came in, and whether it was male or female, black or white, somebody didn't like that, they left. Um, so I don't know if I have very many good experiences of conflict resolution in, in the church. Um, in my own family, I know that we struggle and uh, probably more of a generational <coughs> pattern and generational sin of having poor conflict resolution uh, and just arguing and fighting. And we know that when Jesus was angry, we read about that and it's okay. Usually when we're angry, it's boundaries have been crossed and so we need to we respond. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad and I'm not always the best at responding good. I'm usually pretty poor at but what I have learned over the last several years is that um, conflict is important, and it's important to learn how to do it well. It's really important to learn, even from a young age, to say what you're needing to say um, in a very honest way, uh, not beating around the bush, being very proactive with it, um, and not letting it linger. The more it lingers, the more that, in my experience, it allows Satan to come in and speak lies. Mm. So whether that's conflict that we have in the church or conflict that we have in our own lives with believers or non-believers, it's important to address the point mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Um, I'm a person, Matt's not this person, I'm a person who if there's something, or if there's a conflict, I need to like let it sink in, let it mellow, I need to figure things out so I'm not confused whenever I coach it. Matt likes to just hit it really hard really quickly. So um, we meet in the middle. Uh, but I have learned that, um, and I've been better as I've, and we've, been mar as we've been married and seeing different ways of people resolving conflict. And so it's just important to um, just be very, just be honest. And for me, sometimes it's, um, not removing the hurt completely, 
but um, in this, because that's why I'm having this conversation, but also understanding that it doesn't have to be uh, an emotional experience as far as I get so angry, I'm crying, crying, whatever, and I'm not getting my point across. Okay. I've, I've been in fellowships where, um, as Bill explained, I was confronted as a leader uh, rather than you fix it when really the uh, parties involved should, should uh, we talked about that, should be the ones who speak with one another. But I, but I also think that our language is extremely important. And I certainly haven't mastered it because it's easy to say, you did this, mm -hmm. as opposed to say, I am feeling mm -hmm. this, I am hurting, mm -hmm. I've experienced this, I've observed this. It's, it's important that we don't attack someone because they're gonna go on the defensive most of the time, if you know what I mean. So I think that's, that's so important. And uh, one other point uh, about not going to bed uh, without dealing with your anger, Linda and I made a pact a long time ago. We just celebrated our 46th anniversary and still enduring one another, but the pact was if you go to bed without resolving your conflict, chances are you're not gonna have a very good night's sleep. So I think that applies to marriage and relationships to deal with it just as quickly as we possibly can, knowing that uh, there still may be hurt feelings because we do not like confrontation, but it's so important to try to deal with it, as you explained. You know, I, to say something, that you put a great point on something that I stumbled over when we were in the message, that that's the way you can, when we talk about speaking truth from the heart, when you're saying, I feel this or I've experienced this you're just speaking a truth of your experience instead of accusing you did this and that's a totally different and that's one of the things actually we in that communication course were taught <laughs> and I didn't teach I didn't share it with you guys but that's a great point is to start that that makes us examine our own hearts about what I'm really feeling that's making me respond this way and how I and just now let me ask a question to kind of follow up on that so when when you've gone through those things when you've um, dealt with uh, anger or um, discord or whatever, how has Jesus, how has your faith in Jesus been used in that process? Or has it? Like, how do you need Jesus in that process of dealing with uh, conflict? Well, there comes a point in conflict where maybe it can't be resolved. And we know that the Bible says that as long as it depends on us, we should live in peace. Mm -hmm. So if we have a, if I have a conflict with my family or in it, not going well and it's this reoccurring issue or whatever I've, if I know that I've done what I need to do and I've prayed about it, seek the Lord in that um, and there's not, there comes a point where I just can't do much I have to um, I have to be at peace with that um, with knowing that I've done what God's told me to do and I've sought Him out in that and maybe sometimes it will take a while to Men I would kind of say the same thing. I just there was a, a situation about a year ago um, with someone in my family who um, I really felt like the Lord was um, convicting me to, to go to that person and, and uh, have a conversation. And I really needed to forgive this person. And um, just and it was really a time that I just needed to talk to them. And um, I really needed him because again, I I I not. I needed the courage to even approach that conversation. It was really, a really good blessing that that conversation happened, and I needed 
him yeah. throughout the whole process. To even go and do it, yeah, to even, okay. Yeah. In a book on marriage by Francis and Lisa Chan, the main theme is that we are preparing one another for heaven, for spiritual life. Mm. It's not about me, it would be about my wife and it would be about you, to set my feelings aside. And we need to prepare one another for eternity with, with Jesus Christ. Mm. And we're doing a disservice and a non-love if we don't confront uh, conflict or disagreement when it happens. And so, yes, we are preparing for one another. So Jesus is honored when we do that. This is difficult. I don't like to confront, I don't like to be confronted. But if I truly love you, then I need to do that. Um, next question kind of follows in a little bit what we've already shared, and maybe you, you've covered it sort of already, but <clears throat> have you ever actually walked through the model of Matthew eighteen fifteen on like as a structure, like in some formal way? And uh, if so, what was the outcome? I mean, what were your, were your experiences? Uh, yes, I have. I would prefer not to speak of the details. It was, it was painful. It took a long time, and there, um, I'm not sure we did it completely right. I did it completely right. Um, but in the long run, it was, it was the correct thing to do. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm definitely not asking for details. I'm saying so overall, even though it was hard, it was, it, it, you felt like you had honored yes. that process, right? I did as well, and um, I don't know. I don't know if it was a good thing or not in this particular situation. I think it happened. <laughs> I mean, I, I did what I thought I should do, um, and you know, it didn't go any further than that first person, the one-on-one. Okay. It didn't go any further than that. So, um, okay. Fair enough. I think that um, in marriage we have the opportunity a lot. <laughs> so um, just being honest and, hey, why did we do this? Or not use wrong language, I get that. But just approaching it and saying, um, why did we decide this? Or, you know, and just being honest and um, just upfront about it. So not so the different levels of methods. Okay, fair enough. Um, so what are some barriers to us list? I, I made a point, and it's actually all throughout there, like it wasn't my point, I mean, it's in the Bible, <clears throat> that we're to listen. And the you know, Bible calls us to listen. If they, if they listen to you, you know, and then um, if someone comes, you should listen to them. And um, what are some barriers, and James, quick listen, what are some barriers to listening well, that we, real real experiences, and then and not, you know what I'm saying, like problems that we have listening well, and then what are some um, difficulties that you, we have speaking from our heart? Like in the general sense as people. I'll just take part of that. Um, speaking from our heart is, is difficult because if I would come up to you and say, I am seeing this, I always run the risk of saying, yeah, but you, and do I want to lose my friend? I don't, but... Right. But I always run that risk of doing that, being hurt myself. And so I might have a tendency to back away. Okay. I think some barriers might be pride or embarrassment that, um, or even maybe it's a little bit of selfishness if I'm saying I don't want to approach this because I don't want them to turn around and come back on me on something. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I know approaching it, we could get our pride hurt. And, mm -hmm. 
rather than spun. <laughs> um, so I think that those are some barriers. And uh, I think a lot of the tendency is to just brush it under the rug and think that it will get better. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that doesn't happen because, uh, we're, again, we're not addressing it. So mm -hmm. um, it just uh, kind of lets it fester for a while until something happens. And then we, Anything on that? No? Listening well. Um, <clears throat> and then the last question we have today, unless we have questions from the folks gathered here, is um, why do you believe? So in that last, the second Corinthians, it says, we were given the ministry of reconciliation. Um, why do you believe that God gave us that ministry of reconciliation? Well, I think that we get, get the opportunity to grow so much uh, whenever we um, go through it. And there are, there's, um, conflict is good enough to fight through um, with people that we love and people that we care for. Um, just like Steve say, said, it's an eternal issue. So we're, if that's our mindset, it kind of changes, changes the game for us. Um, it's, it's worth it. I know for me, I have to feel like I have a lot of conflict in my family because I work with them yeah. <laughs> on a daily basis. And so I have have to be very intentional about um, maybe praying, Lord, help me to be slow to speak because I mm -hmm. want to be heard. Um, or I get to see my growth in the fruit of the Spirit. We talk about self-control and um, maybe taming our tongue or not saying something that we really want to say because I know that it would get that point across. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's being able to um, see how we are growing in that and it's a neat thing, it's a cool thing. Not easy and fun a lot of times. I think um, whenever you are really vulnerable with anyone, whether it's a friend or a, a husband or a wife or a child, anyone that you are willing to go through this relationship with, or even, even someone in the church life, if you can get through this reconciliation process, the relationship at the end is, is so sweet. Um, it's the one that don't and sleep it under the rug and they it ends up going on, on separate paths that those are the ones that sting the most. Um, so whether obviously it's a marriage or whatever, that those hurt so much more and um, it, if you can um, be vulnerable and go through that process and come out the other end um, with some forgiveness, it's so mm. worth it. Yeah. Interesting by the way that in that he that I, we read it in the passage that he ends that by saying, forgive one another as Christ, as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. Like, that's the call, is to be forgiving toward one another. Um, okay, any, uh, any questions from those gathered? I didn't say earlier, are they? Yes, sir. I, I'll answer this one as well. Um, so, I, I've never had anyone directly say to me, you're a hypocrite, don't judge me, uh, directly. There's maybe implications of that. But I have had... The Holy Spirit convict me when I'm talking to somebody else. The Lord, the Lord's like, you got that same problem. I'm like, oh, I sure do. And, uh, and I have to confess that. And sometimes even in the moment. Like, I know I've screwed up in these ways as well. And so, that, not, not that I'm ever looking, and I'm not trying to be that, but I just feel that sometimes. Like, when you're really, you know, feeling the, there's this clear thing that needs to be dealt with, uh, almost invariably the Lord has me examine my heart in that process and I have to confess that I have that same problem. Doesn't make it right for me either, though. 
My, my favorite answer, by the way, and I'll credit Steve on this uh, passage um, about don't judge. Actually, if we just read it, we skipped that part, but, you know, Paul says we are going to judge. You can deal with what you want on that, but he says we're going to judge, um, and uh, that's not a bad thing. He doesn't say judgment is a bad word. I think our culture has made that thing up, uh, d- don't uh, judge. I think there's a passage that says judge, don't judge lest thee be judged yourself, right? Um, but we should read things in context. I think there's times for it. And Steve's my favorite answer on that, plank in the eye. Do you want to share that with? Yeah, you're probably familiar with the passage where it says, um, don't try to get the speck out of your brother's eye with a plank in your eye. And so we could use that to say we shouldn't judge. But it goes on to say, take the plank out of your eye and then judge. We make judgments all day long. Where we eat, where we sleep, what we say. Um, what if we turn off the TV or whatever so it's not wrong to judge and others if we don't uh, judge their activities then we, we've done a disservice not to be judgmental in right. our attitude but, but to judge right from wrong and to help them help ourselves and, and something else I think that goes and that was so because I'll never forget when you said that I was like oh it does say first move the plank and then go help your brother it never lets you off the hook for helping the brother with the speck in his eye um, but the other thing is the, the judgment, even if we're judging, we're not judging like God judges, like eternally, but we're making a moment-to-moment judgment of what we're discerning or seeing, and we could be wrong. And, and so there's a difference between that and saying things like, well, you'll never be redeemed. That's not true. Like, Jesus redeems his people, so we don't have final judgment in any way. But we definitely have, like, perception, and we are called to share that with one another that it might be a blessing and not a harm. I'd rather, I, I'll tell you honestly, I'd rather hear from you guys that I'm doing something wrong and I know there's me line after church now. <laughs> um, then to face my Lord and had no clue that I was dealing that stuff to my brothers and sisters. I'd rather face you guys and repent of that than to face my Lord in judgment and, and have not recognized my own sin with my brothers and sisters. So for what it's worth. Any other questions? Um, let's pray together now. We'll worship and you can go back and pray if you feel led. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to kind of um, wrestle with your word and also with the implications for our lives. And Lord, we do know that we sit rightly under your judgment and that um, our, we are um, so often wrong in the way we approach things and the way we do things. Uh, we ask that you would uh, forgive our sin. Um, we know in Christ we have full forgiveness for our sins, but we don't want to sin intentionally, and we want to be obedient, Lord, in the things you've called us to do. We pray for courage in those times that we need it, as we've heard today, that um, it's not easy to go and tell a brother or sister that they've hurt us or harmed us or that they're harming themselves or hurting others. But, Father, we pray that we, we would have the courage to do that if it's led by your Spirit, that we could um, be reconciled and have that upgrade um, together. Would you uh, continue to call us to be your people? May we be faithful and fearless in obedience, fearing only you. Uh, Would you do this work in Jesus' name? Amen.